0: and all Mexican goods over illegal immigration threatened uh, really to cut to to increase costs for automakers and really other manufacturers really turned our world into a bit of a tizzy. It's also left Mexico's president calling to resolve the issue, quote, with dialogue. So let's get into this. Josh Green is national correspondent at Bloomberg Businessweek. He's on the phone from the nation's capital, also with us, Sarah McGregor. She is U.S. economic policy team leader at Bloomberg News. She's with us from our Bloomberg 991 studio in Washington, D.C. Um, Sarah, I want to start with you. I was at my desk last night, and all of a sudden the headline comes, and and the president, (laughs) uh, out. With a tweet, and now we're talking about tariffs in Mexico. Uh, what's going on?
2: It certainly seemed to come from nowhere. Yes. Just yesterday, the U.S. had really moved forward. with It was kind of a procedural step, but an important step to to get USMCA before Congress, get it to a vote. You know, we had Mike Pence this week in Canada with Justin Trudeau talking about how important the USMCA is. And what is the USMCA? It's a deal that breaks down barriers, that allows duty-free access for trade across North America. And this is, you know, revamped from from NAFTA, the 2.0 of NAFTA. And then we suddenly have a tweet from trump saying he's going to actually put tariffs on mexico of course this is for another thing it's now tied to his immigration policy but it would certainly hit uh the markets by surprise me and you investors politicians um and the like
1: all right so josh green come on in here because one of the questions i feel like everyone's asking is is someone whispering in the president's ear is the president ignoring people who are whispering in his ear what's driving this
3: uh, well, I think what's driving it is is Trump's genuine anger and, and frustration over his inability to uh, stanch the flow of migrants over the southern border. And as far as people whispering in his ear, uh, I think for the most part they have been, although the counsel Trump has been getting is not to take a move like right. this precisely because it would undermine uh, broader trade negotiations with Mexico, with Canada. Uh, you can see the effect on the stock market today. Um, from what I've Heard from Trump aides, this is something that Trump has been considering doing for a long, long time. And as is often the case, his advisors are able to stop him from taking an extreme step like this only up to a certain point Um, the the guidance that we were getting is that trump might say something about this today on friday and instead he jumped the gun and tweeted this last night i think which was a sign that he didn't want to be hemmed in by his advisors He's going to go ahead and do this uh come hell or high water and you can see the effect in the markets today and in the the kind of chaos it's caused in uh international trade negotiations
0: but all right and sarah so what does this mean? I thought we were like focusing on getting something done with US China, or has that just kind of been put on the back burner until we get through the G20?
2: So, uh, you know, there's some speculation, and again, it's just speculation that, you know, Trump may have timed this as well to sort of deflect from the the U.S.-China negotiations, which aren't going well right now. China just uh, is, you know, we've just reported that it's establishing this list of so-called unreliable entities that they think damage the interest of domestic companies, so it allowed them to punish these companies. This is sort of sounds a little bit similar to the U.S. list, entity list that Huawei was just put on, this huge Chinese telecoms company. And that's cut off its, um, you know, its su- suppliers in the in the U.S. The U.S. suppliers are not allowed to, to sell to them unless they get a special license. So, you know, th- things are just deteriorating, basically, between the U.S. and China. Right. And, and so, you know, there is some deflection there that's definitely happening, whether it's purposeful or not. And I think, you know, I guess just to... Um, to Josh, Josh's point that this has really, you know, Trump's had some success getting uh, foreign governments to the table over trade with mm-hmm. tariffs, and it looks like now he's trying to do the same to to try and deal with this migrant problem. That's a huge issue for him, and you know he's he's about to head into his reelection bids, so um, the Ch- timing could be to do with that as well. Right. Josh, you know, I just think about the
0: week overall, right? We had the statement from Robert Mueller, brief, but certainly to the point. You know, we've had this ongoing wrangling between U.S. and China, a lot of harsh words on both sides. And then now we have the latest salvo with, you know, President Trump in that tweet last night against Mexico. You know, you understand, you know, the political workings here. Uh, How do you see it? Is it diversionary, like as Sarah, you know, mentioned, and we talked about that at the beginning of our broadcast, too, that is this a diversionary move or, or what?
3: Yeah, I, I think it largely is, but I don't think that it, it's doing a great deal to help Trump. I mean, you know, diverting from one problem by creating a second one isn't a politically advantageous strategy in the long term. And I just want to point out, um, you know, Goldman Sachs came out with a report last night looking at the popularity of Trump's various moves on tariff, which I think is very revealing. This, this was a, these were polls taken before last night's uh, Mexican tariffs. But what it showed was the original June 2018 tariffs we're actually quite popular with voters, but every subsequent round of tariffs, both on China and especially on Canada and Mexico, have been very unpopular. And if you look at Trump's path to reelection, most likely it's, it's holding on to the upper Midwest states he won. Trump has become very unpopular there. Republicans performed very badly there in the midterm direction, uh, elections, and, and moves like this one don't look as though they're likely to improve his political standing. So. This doesn't appear from this standpoint to be a a winning move in terms of Trump's domestic approval rating, uh, along with all the problems that we're already seeing it cause in a policy standpoint. And Josh, going to give you the final word, 30
1: seconds. What is Nancy Pelosi thinking at this point, sort of synthesizing everything she's seen, whether it's from Robert Mueller to, you know, trying to get the USMCA potentially through Congress?
3: Well, I think like most people in Congress of both parties, she's probably banging her head against the desk because this is just another complication. Um, as far as the UMCA goes, Democrats were already holding back and wanting more concessions. And Trump's trade negotiations, uh, negotiators uh, led by Robert Lighthizer, seemed to be making progress yeah. on that front. So Trump jumping in like this with a unilateral action is only going to make that process more difficult and less likely to come to fruition.
1: Really great context from both of you. Thanks so much. Josh Green, national correspondent for Bloomberg Businessweek, and Sarah McGregor, U.S. economic policy team leader, both joining us from the nation's capital. Coming up, more on trade.
0: Yeah, more on trade. I was just looking at our most read. Uh, we've got multiple stories in our top 10 that are all about trade. Coming up, though, we're going to talk specifically about some of the companies getting, cross, uh, getting caught, I should say, uh, in the uh, trade war's crosshair. So we'll get into that. One stock really down a lot. As a result of this, you are listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Carol Master, Jason Kelly, this is Bloomberg Radio investors uh, in Constellation Brands, yeah, they had a few tears today, uh, certainly if they were trying to be bullish on it. Uh, stock is down about 6.5%, was down as much as 8.5% uh, in today's session. Uh, the stock taking a hit because it's getting caught in the uh, trade war's crosshairs, thanks to the president. So let's get into this. Craig Giamona covers the space. He's consumer reporter at Bloomberg News, uh, writing about this today. He's in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker studio. Constellation Brands. Not a good day. They have a lot of
4: exposure to Mexico is the the bottom line. And and the takeaway seems to be 5%. They could handle it. They probably wouldn't have to pass along the costs to customers. But when you start talking about 10, 15, up to 25, that... That's a problem for them. You know, they consolation is Modelo and Corona. That's the right. That's how the the lion's share of their growth has come from. That's where the sales come from.
0: But they're not producing or bottling or whatever in here in the United States. It comes
4: out of Mexico. It all comes out. Almost yeah. all of it. Almost all of their beer comes out of Mexico, and that's why they're uniquely exposed to this issue. You know, they in a uh, couple months ago decided to sell off their wine business. Right. So they're going to be even more beer when that deal closes, seventy percent or so from the beer, and that's almost all Modelo and Corona. So it's a problem for them. And more
1: beer at a time, and you've shared this with us uh, around this studio, this this idea that, you know, and and beer's a tough business to begin with right now.
4: Yeah, beer is a tough business, and Modelo has been one of the only two brands that have been growing, right? We've talked about Mick Ultra has been so successful, and Modelo has really been a distribution play. It's very popular with Hispanics. I believe it's the number one beer with Hispanics in California, and they've done a great job getting it onto shelves. You walk around in New York City, it's in every bodega now. You just see it a lot more places. They're advertising during the NFL, so... Modelo has been a great success story over the last 10 years. It's one of the only beer brands that's growing, which is why I think this is getting people's attention. Because if we go to 25%, you know, who knows if we'll get there. That's, that's not till October. But that's a big, big problem for Constellation and the Modelo brand.
0: Is the president listening to these companies?
4: Great. That's a great question. You know, we were talking about this at the desk earlier, whether we're going to see actual backlash from the business community. Maybe this is the tipping point where some of these executives decide that they want to come out and say something, you know, criticizing the president, whether it's a Democrat or Republican is not something that these consumer companies ever really want to do. These consumer companies are desperate to stay out of politics. You know, Michael Jordan famously said, right, Republicans buy Nikes, too. That's how they they feel. They don't want to get into politics. But This I don't know. Maybe this is the tipping point where you start to see... Constellation hasn't said anything to us at all today. They've not commented on this about what they're doing, what they might do, but... It is not. It is bad news for consolation. Because so, I will
0: say to some of the CEOs that we've talked to, our various people, I feel like behind the scenes are saying, you know, there is a dialogue back and forth, but you do wonder how much they're being heard.
4: Yeah, and you've also seen the. Obviously, the president has uh, wielded Twitter as a weapon. So these companies might be saying, look, I don't want him tweeting about me or, or telling people not to drink my beer or eat my brands. Is it going <laughs> to appear? Is it going to appear unpatriotic right. if I say something yeah. about the trade war? So it's a very difficult situation for these companies.
1: And so as you look at. the... companies in your universe and you talk to your colleagues on the consumer team, where else are we seeing the, the most sort of magnified effect, not just of these specific tariffs, but of the trade war in general?
4: You know the apparel guys. I think are starting to get concerned, and you're starting to hear stories about people that moved out of China and moved into Mexico because mm-hmm. Mexico is obviously a place where you can manufacture things. So apparel's coming up. I mean, I think you could start if again if this escalates with Mexico, you'll start to see it in the grocery store. Yeah, a lot of produce comes out of Mexico. The avocados have been discussed. That's a big deal for Chipotle. You know, chip- avocado prices are discussed on almost every Chipotle earnings call. So no kidding. Yeah, and this is before the trade war stuff because they make fresh guac in those restaurants. A big deal for them, and I think something like ninety percent of the avocados come out of Mexico. So right. if this goes on, if we get to twenty five percent, you will start to see this in the grocery store. You'll start to see it on the shelves at Walmart, perhaps if it keeps going with China. So I think we we have not crossed over into sort of consumers really feeling the brunt of this, but we're sort of inching into that territory. No,
0: it's, yeah, right. It's fascinating. We've been focused so much on U.S., China and the supply chains there and so on and so forth. But we forget, I mean, this has been a big, huge trading partner with us for a long time. And we're talking about lots of car, you know, lots of products from cars to clothing to food.
4: Yeah, no question about it. I think that this was this, to almost took people off guard a little yeah, bit because the, totally. focus had been, the focus had been China. I think the sense was that the new NAFTA was coming, that we were sort of were all set. We had our issues with Canada and Mexico sorted out. So this was a big deal. Obviously, you're seeing the market react to it today and some very specific angles on this for the consumer companies.
1: Great stuff. Uh, Craig Giamona, consumer horror for Bloomberg following the Constellation uh, plunge today. The technical term for that new NAFTA is... Asmaca,
0: Asmaca. See, yeah. it's just a rough it just acronym. Just rolls right off Come the on, tongue. Come on, people, we got to work on this. Uh, Constellation Brands. I just want to point out, down about six and a quarter percent. Down almost twelve dollars uh, a share to one hundred and seventy-five dollars fifty-five cents. So, yeah, definitely taking a beating in today's trade. We got a question. Could Burning Man be burning out because it has become too popular? Wait, what? Joel Weber is editor at Bloomberg Business Week. I believe he's a regular feature at the festival now in its 33rd year. I
5: I only wish I were a regular. (laughs) It could happen.
0: It could happen, Joel. Also with us uh, is. um, Is Serena
1: Sato, an old friend, former Bloomberger, now writing for Bloomberg (laughs) Business Week, bringing us the story (laughs) of Burning Man. So, Serena kick this off, leave no trace, not happening for Burning Man.
6: Well, you know, it turns out the event has had no permit for three years. They've been negotiating with the Bureau of Land Management for three years and holding the event without it. And now, uh, you know, this is the moment of truth because uh, in mid-July, but first in mid-June, they're getting response from BLM on what will be the conditions attached to the next permit. And they say the conditions might be so cumbersome that Burning Man might either not happen at all next year or take place in another place, not in Black Crook uh,
5: Desert. So it's just a
0: case of it's getting too big, Joel.
5: And uh, Well, uh, Serena, like when they talk about this, like it's it's like this thing is like rooted in this place. It's in the desert. It It is 100%, you know, Nevada, Black Rock Desert. So when people close to this talk about it, can they imagine it happening anywhere else?
6: Well, you know, it, I guess, yes. The CEO told me that they've already scouted other places in Nevada and in Utah. Um, yeah, they can, but they really would prefer not to because, as you said, it's really rooted in the Black Rock Desert and it's been there since 1991. Um, but you know, it's uh, it's it's a fight with government, and apparently under Trump administration, the BLM has streamlined the prom- the, the the process for these permits and uh, for like you know to make more revenue, basically. And as we know, they've been giving a lot of permits for drilling and and mining.
5: And Burning uh, Man doesn't have a- that same sort of uh, priority <laughs> as say <laughs> oil like, extraction,
6: apparently i mean i I heard says the government wants to make more money out of it because basically, if the conditions are expensive, which they are uh the government makes more money because the government takes a three percent cut of their revenue, so to cover for increased costs, they have to increase the revenues by possibly increasing tickets price, so yeah, it's a very transactional um It's a very transactional negotiation, and it goes beyond the real environmental concerns. Totally, because it goes to
5: the nature of BLM, which, if you don't know, Bureau of Land Management, right? And when you think about how BLM, I think, has been involved in other things, like the whole standoff in Southeast Oregon, that's like Nevada, same thing. And then it brings in the fact that, right, this is actually – You know federal land right So the government gets to say Like what happens and (laughs) burning It's like one of those little things like uh, you didn't Assume that burning man was actually On public land and like oh right You need a permit to use it or
0: or wait Or garbage dumpsters at The gate which apparently the founding Board member who's now the CEO is like yeah We don't do burning man if it has to have uh, Dumpsters at the gate cement barriers Or searches by third party security forces This is a like a no-no Right
6: Yeah, and especially the last one, third-party security forces for searches for guns and drugs. I mean, I think that is really something that irks them, and they say it violates the Fourth Amendment. And imagine that, I mean, it's quite well known that drugs are widely used at the event. Wow burner has to go through a search i think also the crowds would be turned off right well it's also
1: interesting to think about joel kind of the the place that burning man holds in the imagination especially of the sort of at least initially the creative set but
5: but also like the business set too right Well, so the thing that's that is widely known about burning man is that it is a big draw for thinkers right and and these are people who have you know once upon a time, we're probably counterculture, but now they're running businesses that you know of and use yeah. all the time. And so it's really become a draw to like think outside of a box. It is the ultimate place to think outside of the box. And that is why you know the, the culture of Leave No Trace has been a powerful one. It's because you can go have this experience in the desert. It's one of the ones that people go back to every single year. And, and they keep going back to because it is such a special zeitgeisty place. So,
6: yeah, and it has also become the symbol of Silicon Valley. Elon right. Musk apparently came out with the idea of solar city, going to Burning Man. Uh, the Google founders created the the doodles for their first Burning Man attendance with the with the you know the Burning Man of Fiji. So it's really become like uh, the symbol of of you know the libertarian side of right. Silicon uh, Valley.
5: And and to that end, it's you know if you thought Vegas was. You know what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I think you know that's r- really true for Burning Man. Like what happens at Burning Man kind of stays at Burning Man. But Serena, so with all of all of this, what we know about the BLM stuff, like what, how big is this cloud hanging over this summer's event?
6: Well, no, this summer event is safe because it's, we're already too close to it, and so whatever the conditions will be for the next permit will uh you know affect the, the events from, from 2020 so this year is really like going to happen like last with eight, 80,000 people uh, attending maximum um yeah i i you know blm told me that they will give them a permit because they know that the event will happen anyway spontaneously so they'd rather have it under permit with you know the government oversight
0: well, well let's not and forget i mean Right, they pay BLM what permit fee- fees of about three and a half million annually. State and local governments get another a million dollars for agency services, and then Burning Man pays Nevada about three million for the state's live entertainment tax. I mean, that's a lot of money. I'm assuming the states and the municipalities they're they're not Serena they're not going to walk away from this.
6: No, and also no, and also there's like a, an, an indirect revenue for local uh, yeah. communities of seventy five million dollars. You know, it's like there, I went real money. to a tunnel meeting in Reno and all burners and other stakeholders were there. And people are usually in favor of the event because it's a lot of money for, a state, for the state, you know, for local communities.
1: It's a great, great story. Serena Sato, always good to catch up with you. Thanks so much for this story.
5: And Joel Weber, the editor of Bloomberg Business You've never Thank gone. You as well. Uh, you know. There's a few things on my bucket list still, this is very much on it.
0: I could see you there.
5: I'd like to hear those stories. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you both. Let's see if we can make Some my vacation editor's
0: align. Some Make my
5: vacation align with uh, the summer's. There you go. All of a sudden, business week's dark that
1: week. Let's see action. Let's see people. Let's see free. All right. So let's dig into what's going on in the world of venture capital. No one better to talk about it than our friend Jeff Grabo. He's in from silicon valley he's america's venture capital leader for ernst and young jeff great to have you here with Carol and myself in for me. new york city weather outside it's a little more northern california than it has been so thanks for bringing that except the nights except the nights. exactly <laughs> right exactly right so tell us what's going on out there and it was funny you and i were catching up before we went on air i mean. You have seen this over the course of your career. Silicon Valley, the venture capital world, just change so dramatically. What's the state of play right now for VC?
7: So w- one of the interesting things is, is that all the IPOs that we've seen now are finally starting to provide some liquidity yeah. for the firms. Because you know, paper gains are great, cash, he, cash returns are better. You can't deposit those in your bank account. And so that's been good because when you step back and look at the ecosystem, we've had incredible fund formation. We've had massive fund deployment. We've had very little liquidity. And so when you think about trying to keep an ecosystem healthy, that's important. And so that's that's good news, and even in spite of what we you know we've seen some volatility in the market, we've still you know we don't see a dampening of uh, desire or activity.
0: So coming to public market because they should come to public market, or because they have to come to public market because they've been private for so long, and investors are like, show me something.
7: Yes, <laughs> I mean these companies, you know, it's an asset class. It's invested by venture investors. But I do wonder they, they need their thing. they need their right. money back. You know, right. these yeah. these you know these funds are 10-year cycles. So they need to provide liquidity. And you know, and stepping back and looking at the economics or the cycle of a fund, you want to be investing in years 1 to 4 and starting to harvest in 6 to 8 and then be raising in probably seven. Right. And so, it, like it says as I mentioned earlier, it's great to have paper returns. But at some point, if you're going to go ask for cash, it's good to give cash. But I
0: guess I just want to follow if I can. It's just that whole point of just there's so much money around there that allows a company to stay private for so long. And so are we somehow, I don't know, distorting the market because of that?
7: Well, I would argue that if, you know, one bubble we're probably definitely in is a cash bubble. There yeah. is too much money looking for yield. And, mm. you know there has been in having to assume more risk to get yield and there's no better market to assume risk than venture. And so, you know, that's, that's happened. And until, and I don't see that changing until we find something that happens that says, okay, there's a better place to put my cash. Mm -hmm. And now that is primary, but that cash is primarily from growth because early investors in all these IPOs did fine, regardless of what, (laughs) you know, where you are, they did fine because they were in, you know, very, very early at very, you know, at very, you know, at pennies on the dollar early on. But you know, one interesting thing is, is we've looked at there's been 18. We've tracked 18 unicorn IPOs since 2018. Twelve of them, as of yesterday, are still are above water, and some are that have done very well. So, and there's only 177 unicorns on a population over of over 18,000 companies. So they truly are unique.
8: Yeah.
1: All right. You mentioned volatility earlier, which is pretty diplomatic when you're looking at the likes of Lyft and some of the other IPOs who haven't done so great. And especially to the point you just made, this idea that if you were in super early, yeah, you're going to do just fine. But maybe you're, if you're in a little later, does that change behavior decision-making in the short term or, to Carol's point, in the longer term where venture investors say, you know what, let's not wait so long next time. Let's get this out a little earlier, some sort of exit, either the public markets or some sort of acquisition.
7: Well, I think one thing that all this capital has allowed people to do is to grow for top line mm. and not put infrastructure in place that allows you to approach the public markets. Ah. So we might start to see a, you know, a different emphasis placed on that because you know because having infrastructure also allows you it gives you optionality because if you are just continuing to conquer markets and to try to grow top line but you don't have infrastructure to be able to access the markets you don't have an option is, you, is you'll, you'll infrastructure in the private
1: is infrastructure a nice way of saying closer to profitability
7: <laughs> no it's having balance sheets <laughs> no infrastructure in terms of being able to understand reporting yeah
1: Inter- okay
7: you know so
0: what do you think happened with uber
7: that's well, we don't comment on you know specifics, but it's it's an interesting situation. Um, it was a, it's been a very hot deal, and everybody has been. It's hard to turn away money when everybody is you know. Yeah. And it's been written about how people were you know pushing pe- pieces of paper across yeah. the table because they didn't get in, saying what will it take? Right. Yeah. That is very difficult to turn down when you have you know. Versus, if you want to say, okay, I'm going to hire a bunch more people and I'm going to go on a six-month, you know, a three-month road show. Right. right. That's, you know, those options. But at some point, you do need to bring it back and say, we need to return yeah. cash. How do we do that? Great and
1: to your point, the abundance of capital certainly uh, can distort some things. All right, Jeff Grabo, always great to catch up with you, America's Venture Capital Leader for Ernst & Young, based out in Silicon Valley, here with us in New York City. I'm in my car i turn on the radio How about you let me drive? Oh, no, 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 no Who's gonna
4: drive you home? Honey, please, I'll do the driving Drive home Excuse me,
3: I want to drive,
0: Just drive, Just, drive Just drive, baby It's the question that drives us
1: Just Drive,
6: Is the drive to the close. That punk to music will drive us till the dawn
3: on Bloomberg Radio.
0: It is time for the drive to the close. Let's bring back Aaron Cannon. He is Chief Executive Officer at Clear Harbor Asset Management, over seven hundred million dollars in assets under management. Aaron, joining us on the phone in New York. So, uh, Aaron, good to have you here. Uh, interesting week, to say the least. Interesting month. Uh, equities looking to close just off their lows of the session today. It's been a rough month uh, for the equity markets. Having said that, you know, you look at the S and P five hundred, and we're st- still looking at about a almost ten percent gain on the year in any year that would be a decent gain it was a lot more decent <laughs> a lot more bullish a month or so ago um i don't know do you have any kind of visibility do you feel like um that gives you an idea of what happens in the second half of the year
8: well uh, carol it's it's you're, you're absolutely right there, there are lots of forces at play right now and they seem to have become even more ele- elevated over the last several days as recently as this morning with the, the Mexico uh, tariff threat. But, you know, just taking a step back, there are a lot of big forces at play beyond tariffs. The fiscal stimulus, uh, which was passed in seventeen, has, has really come off, it essentially ended in, in in April of this year. And you have earnings growth through the first quarter. It looked like, you know, low single-digit type earnings for the S&P 500, two, three, four type percent growth. This is a very stark contrast to 2018 and 17 where you're, you know, net of the tax cut in the teens of earnings growth. Of course, the weak data, um, that's no surprise uh, to you. Of course, retail sales is weak. Manufacturing data has been weak. Consumers um, still spending of, of,
0: though, right? I'm sorry. Consumers, though, are still spending, and we talked about that well, earlier with our economist.
8: Yeah, there is some consumer spending. They're more confident um, on the sentiment front. The spending has been a bit lackluster, but they're they're still interestingly confident now. Why is that? Of course, unemployment's at three point six percent, and job availability is is very high. So that's the nice silver lining in in all of this. Um, but. You know the Fed's behind the curve too, and and I hate to say that, but you take a look at the Fed funds target rate at two and a quarter percent, and you look at the two year Treasury uh, right now at one point nine four percent, and uh, we're we're well below the Fed funds rate, so the Fed is most likely behind the curve here, unless uh, all this negative sentiment um, comes to pass very quickly. Uh, so, uh, there's certainly some, some points of, of concern here. I think the silver lining is the market's not super expensive, Carol. Um, mm-hmm. Even at uh, $180 of earnings for 2020, that's sort of a, a 15 multiple. If you look at just full year 2019, we're trading at uh, about 16, 16 and a half times. That's maybe just uh, incrementally higher than the 25-year average. but Certainly lots of things to ponder. Uh, the trade skirmish between China and the U.S. Is, is a big one, really big one. Yeah,
1: so rank it for us. I mean, the, you look at the, the U.S.-China trade issue. Now today, we've spent a lot of time, probably rightly, talking about the U.S.-Mexico trade issue. Together, they're a problem. Separately, they're a problem. What, what do you give the most weight to in terms of how investors should be worried
8: Yeah, I would say a month ago, I would have put it down on a list of, let's say, top five concerns. I would put it at four or five. Mm. I think today it's more like one or two. That is to say, economic deceleration was already occurring prior to this this last round. But I think that things became significantly more serious, Jason, within the last week when the United States made a decision to not allow the importation of semiconductor products from the Western world, including Taiwan, into China – um, that was a huge shot across the bow for the Chinese. This is an economy that's trying to transition from manufacturing-based economy to a technology-based economy. Without those semiconductors, Huawei and every other phone company, every other technology company in China can't sell their products. And so um, it took, you know, my thinking uh, into a totally different direction, hmm. which is that this is much more serious now than it's been for, for, for many years, frankly. Um, and um, I, I certainly... I'm not predicting that this is going to evolve into some sort of military skirmish anytime soon, but um, but 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 this is a big one.
0: Well, you know, one of the stories that Jason and I talked about a lot yesterday was several big name investors talking about this being, you know, a new cold war, and it's something that's protracted, uh, goes on for some time, and I do wonder if, you know, that's where we're headed.
8: Well, uh, you know, it's interesting. Um, the great balance of powers at a military level um, are are usually balanced. You know, someone has air superiority, some has gra- someone has ground superiority, um, and now we're sort of in two thousand and nineteen, and we're talking about technological superiority yeah. as as perhaps a, 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 a tipping point here. Uh, China needs semiconductors; they can't build the specialty semiconductors that they need to grow their economy. I think. The, uh, the balance of uh, weight in terms of leverage is still in the hands of the United States because of this. But uh, it's going to be tricky now for the Chinese to save face with their with their own people
0: mm.
3: uh, as they
8: try to move this conversation and this negotiation forward.
0: I do wonder how much of what's going on right now, and and we've had several conversations about posturing on both sides. And I, you know, I speculated, you know, do we get to G20 and they both say, listen, we both need to get something out of this, but we need to get it resolved. And I do wonder if that's where it comes to because I think. President Trump certainly wants a win uh, and a trade win. And you do think about saving face, you know, certainly for uh, the Chinese president. And that kind of plays into both of them.
8: Yeah, I think he wants a trade win. But if he has what he declares to be a trade win, but then we still have a huge trade deficit going into the election, people Mm -hmm. are going to ask the question whether or not it was really a win. So if I'm playing game theory, maybe he wants a trade win very late in the uh, election season. So, that the data, whether it's positive or negative from him, is unknown, and it's, it's an easier way to declare victory. So, that's me game theorizing right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: He, he, yeah. Well, a lot of game theory going on, uh, candidly, right now in the markets, especially as we come to the end of a week where I think we got some surprises, to say the least. Aaron Kennan, co founder, chief executive officer of Clear Harbor Asset Management, looking after a little more than $700 million. He joined us on the phone from here. In New York City,
0: pretty remarkable, right? Shortened trading week, but we've certainly been obsessed with U.S.-China trade as we watch uh, what's coming out of the White House. Uh, at the same time, now you know you've got another trade front opened up, and that is dealing with Mexico, normally an ally, right?
1: I mean, it's 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 funny in a sort of like Oof, way in the yeah. sense that you know we talk all the time, a little inside baseball here about all right, what's the top of the show? What's the thing we're going to focus on? What do we want to tell people yeah. is going on? And really. It's been trade, trade, trade. All and week. then I think we probably would have gone in today thinking, well, you know, maybe we'll take a look at something else. And here comes the tweet from the president last night. It's trade. Ex- different different chapter. Exactly. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show every weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern only on Bloomberg Radio.